Finance and Leadership, FTI's Financial Services Podcast. FTI is a global advisory firm. We help organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes. I'm your host, Tilsia Toledo. I have over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. This show is about the people I've met along the way and leading during uncertain times. You will hear from finance executives, law firm partners, dedicated government professionals, and many others. Today's guest is Tiffany Smith, partner at Wilmer Hale. Tiffany has over a decade of experience advising and representing broker-dealers and other financial institutions, including financial technology companies, regarding compliance with the federal securities laws and regulations and the rules of the self-regulatory organizations. During this episode, you will hear Tiffany and I make reference to a conference and a panel. We met at the Corporate Council Women of Color Conference and served in a panel entitled Understanding How Cryptocurrency Will Change the Way We Do Business. As always, the full bios of all of our guests are available on our website, financeandleadership.com. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. It's been a minute since we got together at the Corporate Council Women of Color Conference and we did the panel where we got a chance to talk about cryptocurrency and all all these hot topics. Absolutely. But first, let's take our listeners back to the beginning. Tell us about how did you get into law practice? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting story. So when I was younger, I grew up watching like judge shows and crime shows with my grandmother. So I was interested in being a lawyer there, but I thought of law as being a prosecutor. And then as I got older, I became more interested in finance, particularly in high school. So I thought I wanted to be an investment banker like you, like your prior life. And I went to undergrad in 2000. So this is after the dot-com bubble burst and there were very limited finance jobs. So as a finance major, I was like, well, this isn't going to work out. And I started thinking again about law, but instead of being a prosecutor, it's really how like the intersection of law and finance. And this is during like the WorldCom and I was in accounting classes kind of learning about those scandals. I'm like, oh, maybe I can kind of combine these two interests into a career. And I kind of just decided that's what I was going to do and kind of pursue that through a job during law school and other internships that we're going to talk about later. So I kind of made this pivot really in undergrad, which kind of put me on to the path that I'm on today. So you were thinking ahead about it. So that's interesting. And then you did intern at the investment management division of the SEC and also the litigation department at FINRA. So was that a pivotal point in your career? It was actually part of this plan. Everyone tells you, you go to college, come out and get a good job. Like, right. They kind of put this plan in your head. So to be in school and to have like, oh, I might not get a job. Part of it was the economy, but other parts of it were things that I didn't do to prepare myself. And so taking that experience, I was like, I'm going to go to undergrad, I'm going to go to law school. And during law school, I'm going to work at a broker dealer. So I had the experience of working at a securities firm and getting that experience to really round it out and make myself more marketable. I also want to work for a regulator like the SEC or FINRA to get that perspective and two, figure out how to be more valuable to my clients. And so that was kind of part of the plan. So I did that my final year of law school. So I want to go back to something you just mentioned, because you said that there were some things that you did not do. And one of the things I always think about is how we as professionals now, we're very polished and we appear that way to a lot of our colleagues as we should, but we weren't always so polished. So when you talk about like, what are the things that you didn't do for those listeners who are still in the beginning stages of their career, what advice do you have for them? 
internships are critically important. You know, it might be fun to go hang out with your friends during the summers of your senior year of high school or during college, but those are years in which I decided I was actually in inroads. So I worked at Merrill Lynch my senior year of high school going into college in the first year of college. And after that, I decided I wanted to stay in DC. <laughs> and so when I was graduating, my internship experience was like years stale. And so having those new touch points and like doing things continuously are things that I just didn't have. And some of my counterparts did. And so that was one of the biggest things. And so that's why I had, you know, so, so many jobs, so many different experiences. Because not only do you gain those experiences and skills, but you create more connections and you know more people so that you have more opportunities. It's funny that you mentioned inroads. I am also an inroads alum, and I just think it's such a fantastic organization. So I'm a huge, huge supporter of inroads. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic opportunity. As an 18-year-old, I worked at Merrill Lynch. I never would have gotten if it were not that through that program. So let's talk about how did you get into cryptocurrency and digital assets and how how did you get into that space? I'm a broker dealer regulatory attorney, so I deal with securities regulation. And in 2017, the SEC published the Dow report. So it's this, this report where they basically confirm that the federal securities laws do apply to digital assets. The reason they published, they could have created an enforcement action after the organization, but they instead did this report to really give notice to the industry. And so the industry participants took heed and they started contacting my firm and other firms of similar practices, talking about their businesses, you know, wanting to discuss whether or not their businesses like tripped the federal securities laws they needed to register or whether they were outside. And so that was kind of the first uh, forte into the space. And it was also coincided during the time I was up for partner. And because I practice in the regulatory space, as a regulatory attorney, you really like make your name and get clients by having a deep expertise in one area. And so for me, I was like, oh, this is like perfect. This is an area where it's new, it's developing. I can kind of get in, I think, on the ground floor and like really market myself as opposed to other areas where you have rules that are 20, 30 years old. Like, right, this is all new, all developing, like in real time. So I decided to kind of stick with it. And for a while, there's crypto winter, 2018, 2019, uh, even the beginning of 2020, it looked like, you know, maybe this was, this was a bad choice. You know, the industry is like continuing to develop. It's been a huge adoption. So now my practice is about 50% crypto. So it's really that bet I made a couple of years ago has really paid off. For sure. It's such a dynamic field. It's constantly changing. I feel like I have to spend quite a bit of time, especially in the mornings, just getting up to speed on what recent developments have occurred. I was seeing how even the DOJ has come out and they are rolling out a new... The new task force? Yeah. So the DOJ has rolled out the National Cryptocurrency Enforcement Team, which is, again, just part of the, the overall dynamic environment. Tell me about what is your routine to stay on top of recent developments? So you're, you're right in that it's constantly changing. And so what I do, I do a few things each day. So I start with reading legal news called Law 360. We also have like an in-house aggregator where the firm aggregates a number of articles about recent developments. So I start there focusing really on like the legal updates. But the other thing that I do that really rounds out my view is I listen to podcasts that are, so I have two in particular that I listen to each day that are more like non-legal, but from the industry perspective. And sometimes they just, they opine on legal things. They totally get it wrong. But having that perspective is interesting because that perspective about the business and the industry 
is what the business sides of my clients bring to their legal team. And so when I talk to the legal teams of my clients, I'm a better understanding what the business is getting at. If you're only talking about the legal issues, then it's not really a full view. You really can't understand the issues. But you, if you understand the technology and the use cases, and that's what the non-legal podcast focused on, you're like, okay, this is like really cool. This is interesting. This is a very unique use case. And you try to figure out like how to fit that within the federal securities laws or sometimes it's the money transmitter laws. And so it just gives me a very well-rounded perspective. But I spend probably an hour or sometimes more if there's like testimony or something like that, I'll definitely spend more. But it's an everyday consistent practice to make sure that I'm abreast as to what's going on because it can definitely change like the advice that we give our clients. So what are you seeing in terms of top trends? Like what are the things that you're looking out for, especially we talk about this additional regulatory scrutiny, like what else are you seeing in terms of trends? The trend is that we have a heightened enforcement environment. And so we know that, you know, the SEC and CFTC just yesterday are are asking for additional regulatory authority. So if something's a security, which is still an open question, SEC would have jurisdiction. If something is a commodity, the CFTC would have anti-manipulation jurisdiction, but not the whole regulatory jurisdiction. So for for securities or banking product, there's a whole regulatory structure that goes behind it to register it, but doesn't exist. And so every day you have a regulator out there making comments about how they think things should be regulated or new activity. So just beginning of this week, maybe last week, they were talking about how there was a rumor that the SEC would have the authority to regulate stable coins. And so what does that mean? That means all of the firms out there who are issuing stable coins, they're going to try to figure out how to register the products and how to have those products sold by broker dealers, right? So that's immediately applicable to what I do and the type of things that people are asking. So it's really just figuring out now, regulation takes time. And so there's definitely requests for Congress to establish new authorities and give new authorities to different regulators. But in the interim, understanding one, what regulators are saying gives you indication as to like what they're going to go after next. And two, it also gives you like an indication as to where regulation might be going. And then you can kind of help your clients kind of navigate that. I agree. I mean, I go through a similar process, especially being based here in DC and focus on risk management, governance and compliance, where I'm constantly thinking about what did the regulators just say? What does that mean? How it may impact my clients? And it's something that you have to constantly stay on top of. So I totally, I totally understand the process you go through because I think many of us go through a very similar process, especially when you're in this dynamic field. Absolutely. Tell me, what is it that excites you the most about the work that you do? I mean, we've talked about the fact that it's dynamic. I can see how it combines some of the interests that you had as you were in school. So what is it that excites you? I think the fact, like some of these use cases, is there's just so much potential. It's one thing to just be a lawyer and apply the, the laws, but taking it the next step and understanding the technology and use cases, it's amazing. In general, the whole premise behind crypto is like disintermediation. It's like getting rid of the trusted third party. If you think about how that concept worked in the transportation agency and how we now have Uber and Lyft and all of these peer-to-peer services, just taking that knowledge and see that transformation and how it's been good in some cases. I can think about when I've been in various places and I couldn't get a cab. Right now I can get a cab anywhere. There's always exactly. the stories about the discrimination, like African-American men in Harlem couldn't get cabs. So they would put like their non-African-American counterparts in front and then jump in the cab, you know, once a cab came like, right. So there's all these stories about how there's been disruption that has been good. And so thinking about the financial industry where there has been 
a history of discrimination, like redlining and all of these things and understanding the potential to really be more inclusive and create opportunities for people, that's what gets me excited. You know, because we're now, you're replacing people with technology, then you need to make sure that we're involved, like people of color, I and mean, this is a very diverse group of people are involved in shaping this so that you don't have the discrimination that previously took place by humans taking place through like computers and algos. So there's definitely risk there, but the potential is just, you know, out of this world. And even with having a new asset class, you have the potential to create a whole new generation of wealth and source of wealth. And so it's just an opportunity. And frankly, I can't remember seeing, you know, in any other space in my lifetime because of the low barriers of entry. You can buy a coin at a very low price and it could appreciate and boom, there's some stocks on this, whatever, but historically now we have fractionalization in the stock market. So it's been more inclusive, right? But even the people who are not, who are getting access to IPOs are not individuals or the big institutions. So if you think about the barriers that don't exist in the crypto market, it just gives so much more opportunity. And that's why I'm so passionate. That's why I think everyone should at least know about this know about the opportunities out there and then the various use cases. I was at a conference last week and they were talking about decentralized file storage. If you have extra space on your computer, you can rent it out to someone else. And the benefit is obviously the extra space you're able to capitalize off of that. But the other benefit is having servers decentralized all over the world so that there is, if one area goes down because there's a storm, a whole network doesn't go down. That type of thinking, it just really creates this, this mountains of opportunities. And I just think it's super exciting. I'm completely fascinated by the era that we're in right now. And just the same way you combine different factors. I have an undergraduate degree in engineering and then an MBA in finance. So for me, seeing everything that's happening right now in fintech, it's just amazing. And I remember I was at the conference. I remember having breakfast and mm-hmm. it was the day that we were speaking on the panel And across Mm -hmm. from me was a woman with blue hair, and she was talking to somebody across from her about NFTs. And at that moment, I was like, wait a minute, like this is so much bigger, it's so much more prevalent. And it turns out, I mean, we ended up chatting afterwards and it turns out that she has a store that has some museum pieces associated with it. And so she's also an artist and she was using Mm -hmm. NFTs to capture that value associated with the things that she was selling. So when you talk about just how prevalent it is, and and I've also seen numbers about people of color adopting this digital assets in a way that they haven't adopted other items before, I I think it really is fascinating to see what happens next. We talked about NFTs like on the the panel. I think that's another like fascinating use case because, you know, as we were discussing, what happens typically is you have an artist and they produce this work and then they get bought by a big gallery, but they don't capitalize off of the secondary market trading of, of their artwork. So you can have a situation in which someone is like household name, super popular, but their net worth is like pretty low. And it's people in the secondary market, the collectors who are really capitalizing off of their work. And so one of the use cases for NFTs is giving them residuals, you know, building into the smart contract, the ability for them to continue to capitalize off the secondary market trading which is like fascinating and it, and it really empowers the artist. It's, it's all about this in, intermediation. It's like the person who actually the creator is able to continue to profit off of their work, not just folks that were lucky enough or wealthy enough to have purchased it at that you know, later time. And that especially affects people of color. There's so many creators out there, whether it's YouTube, et cetera. And so I just think that's another interesting, fascinating part about this technology, just the empowerment. 
I completely agree. Residual value and, and carry Absolutely. All, all of that. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the number of accolades you have received, because there's a lovely list that includes New York Law Journal's 2020 Rising Stars list, National Bar Association 40 Under 40, Nation's Best Advocate list 2020, quite a few, Tiffany. I'm not going to keep listing them because you have quite a few. When you look back, <laughs> is there one that you're proudest of? Is there, is there one that made you think like, I really worked hard for this. I'm really proud of being recognized by folks on this. Is, is there one that stands out to you? I'm definitely proud of all of them because they're, you know, recognition by various um, organizations. But the one that really stands out to me is the Network Journal 40 Under 40 Achiever Award. It stands out to me for a couple of reasons. Like first, this was in 2019, so before COVID. And they had this amazing ceremony where there's 40 of us and they recognize each of us individually. And there's this nice award ceremony. My family came as far, from as far as California and then my friends came and we had a couple of tables. And it was just nice to experience that moment with all of the people who were so important to me to help me get to that moment. It was like a great way to share the accolade with people who were most important to me. And kind of ironically, in my happenstance, the award was the the night before the one-year anniversary, the day I found out I made partner. Had the award and we went over to like a local watering hole close to the award ceremony. You know, it was kind of like part two of the celebration. Like, you know, when I found I made partner, I was like in my office, like surrounded by my coworkers, but the people who were like my family, et cetera, really weren't there. And so to be able to celebrate that and recognize that moment with the people who were most important and most important to me getting to that moment was also just an amazing, memorable experience. That, that sounds amazing. Now, looking at the other side of the coin, getting to partnership, I'm sure, was not easy. I'm sure that you faced a number of challenges. What advice do you have about dealing with adversity? I think the key is to just get comfortable and recognize that there will be adversity. There'll be periods of being uncomfortable. I've heard the phrase, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that's the best thing you can do because now, as I look back into the craziest, most challenging experiences I've had, whether it's very long hours, demanding clients, demanding colleagues, I just learned so much and grew so much during those experiences. And so whenever now I face challenges, like I have, I can remember the benefit of that adversity and those challenges and kind of carry that through. And I think that's like the most important thing. You have to know that to get somewhere and to be successful, like it's not going to be an easy road. And so when you have those challenges and that adversity, you expect it and you're able to navigate through because you understand it's you're going to be better, stronger, have more skills, be more resilient on the other side. So just get ready for it. Know that it's a part for the course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you're also a member of the Wall Street Blockchain Association. How did you get involved in that organization? So a few years ago, I was, I was at a crypto conference and a friend in contact who's been working in the space who, you know, is very like well-known. She mentioned the organization as being like a great organization to be involved in. And so I, I decided to get involved. And it's been great because as we were talking about, there's a lot of news and a lot of change in the, in the crypto industry. So to be part of an organization that has like a biweekly call, where you're talking about the things that have happened and getting people's perspectives, I think is like critically important. Like I talk to my colleagues internally about what does this statement mean by a regulator, but to have a forum where you can have those discussions with people across different law firms, across different companies, like it's really rich and it really enriches me and my ability to advise my clients. 
So I think it's just phenomenal organization and like I highly recommend people who are interested in the space to get involved in organizations like that because it just really enriches your experience and your, and your expertise. Now, I also believe that leaders are readers. Are there any books uh, you refer to often, recommend, or, or just gift to other people? So I do give gifts of books to people, but I tend to, it really depends on the person. So it's, it's, it's very much tailored to whatever their interest is. But an interesting book that I'm reading that I recently gifted to someone was called Pappy Land, a story of family, fine bourbon, and things that last. And if you're a bourbon connoisseur, you know that like one of the, the rarest, most expensive bourbons is, is Pappy Van Winkle. And so this book is about the story of that family and, you know, how they created bourbon and like the whole bourbon industry. And I have another, I have a colleague who's also a bourbon connoisseur. And so it was his birthday. So I saw the book, like I was reading the time, saw that it was coming out. So I bought him a copy of the book and, and I bought the book, but that's typically how, how I gift books. I see that a book is coming out and like think about who in my life would be interested in that book and just a couple of clicks, the book is on the way. That's interesting. That kind of ties into, you know, one of, one of my hobbies. Well, I love, I love my bourbon and this summer in particular, I was up in Martha's Vineyard and I came across this company called Taste Select Repeat TSR and it's two um, Black men that have this bourbon company. They go around the country and they pick hand-selected miles of bourbon. And so you can join the club and like get access to, to rare bottles, but they also do bourbon tastings. And so they came to my house in the vineyard and I had like 10 people over it, which is an amazing experience. Like one, because I love bourbon and get to try different things, but to like hear from two Black men in this space that talked about how the reason they started the company was like the discrimination that they first faced and people didn't expect them to be interested in it, this type of drink. And so as a woman, people are always like confused when I ask for the bourbon list and I actually know the difference between things. So it's like another, you know, another example of, you know, inclusion, an amazing, an amazing company and amazing people who own it, but something else to do besides work. What's the name of the company again? It's called Taste Select Repeat TSR, another amazing company. And I get bourbon as well. So, so books and bourbon, the two Bs. There you go. So we've talked about a couple of your passions already, but I always do tend to ask my guests, what are you passionate about? It could be personal or professional. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add from that standpoint. I guess two things. So one is just experiences with the people like I care most about, you know, busy professionals, right? We're always working. And I just ha- like having those moments, sometimes just traveling, try- trying an amazing restaurant, going to a show or a sporting event, and just to kind of be in the same space with the people we care about and just experiencing things is just, just amazing. And it doesn't really matter like what you're doing, but to just to have that experience. And I have a friend always kind of grounds us and helps us remember that. And she, this is, I don't know if she does it intentionally, but we'll be together and she'll go, guys, guess what? I'm happy. And it's so simple, but it just grounds me. It makes me, you know, realize and recognize like, this is a moment, like be in the moment, you know, you can't get this back no matter like what you're doing. So that's one thing. And, you know, before I would have said traveling, but, you know, we've been in a COVID environment. And so just having those moments, no matter what they are, like sometimes you're on a Zoom, but right. But just having those moments, I think is most important to me. The other fun fact about me that, you know, unless you work with me, you probably don't know is that like I'm a fencing mom. So I have a 16 year old stepson 
back from when I was married and he is a fencer. So we travel around the country and go to fencing tournaments and like, you know, he fences Sabre. So I know a lot about fencing. I know the top fencers are, and there's a lot of equipment. So I have a whole checklist. I have like my, my little chair that I bring to fencing events. I have a cooler. I literally have like a whole setup. Yeah. I, I have a fencing mom t-shirt. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. So that's, 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 a, that's a, that's a fun fact about me. So I, I had a very good friend in high school that was on the fencing team. But other than that, I have not had much exposure to fencing. I will say this. I mean, I hear you on the experiences. I know we're all dealing with COVID right now, but I'm even more mindful when I do spend time with people that I really care about, just in recognition of this time period we've all just gone through. And the fact yeah. that many of us know people who are no longer here because Absolutely. of COVID, definitely a lot more grateful for the time that I do get to spend with people. Absolutely. If nothing else, like COVID was obviously, like we're still going through it horrible for so many reasons, death, financial destruction to so many people. But I think the silver lining is perhaps like just the importance of just simple things and cherishing those moments and telling people who are important to you that they're important. I recently had a chance to call one of my mentors and I just had to tell him just how important he was to me because we're all getting older and I just didn't know if I was going to get a chance again. Right. So I just yeah. had to tell him. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of ground. We have covered a lot of ground. You know, thanks again for having me. This has been great to see you. Great to work with you again. I had so much fun on the panel, learned so much. You know, great that we had this opportunity to kind of continue the dialogue about our about a bunch of things, including our favorite topic, crypto. Yes. Excellent. Well, Tiffany, thank you very much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email financeandleadership at fticonsulting.com.